powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, please. Thank you, Seth. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into this episode, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Ahmad Vital. What a great guy to speak with, and we got to have a fun conversation off the air about the business of podcasting and such. Again, if you haven't heard Ahmad's interview, I strongly advise you to seek it out after the conclusion of this episode. All right, so welcome to episode 131. We have a great interview lined up for you today. We have on the show two extraordinary people, Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanca. Fritz is the legendary former weatherman for KNBC in Los Angeles, and Louise is a very successful documentarian. Together, they have joined forces and host the Media Path podcast. Like me, they have incredible guests on their show, and the two of them have dynamite chemistry together. Lots to discuss. Let's get them out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome all the way from Los Angeles, California, the hosts of Media Path Podcast, Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanca. Good evening. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by the two of you today? Let me check my window. We're having uh, a cold snap. It's in the 60s. It's a cold snap officially. He's a weatherman. It's officially a cold snap. Yeah. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is, how has it been for the two of you to navigate the COVID world up to this point? Well, I mean, I think since I, I, I don't know, I think this has been a lot easier for people that are just sort of like naturally loners and really tough for people that need social, uh, you know, really tough for those folks. So for me, it hasn't been that much different than real life. Because, you know, I'm, I I need like a lot of isolation to sort of decompress. Some people need to be with folks to decompress. So I think Fritz is going to have pretty much the same answer. But Exactly. <laughs> nice. Sitting on the bandwagon, the individual bandwagon. <laughs> the only thing that I didn't like about it was uh, that, you know, I have grandchildren who are in school and... I, I felt so bad for the kids because they need to be socialized. I mean, there are a lot of skills that they develop that aren't academic skills in school, and they need to be socialized. And I, some kids, not my grandchildren, but kids in both of their classes that were having a difficult time sort of reconnecting and taking care of their responsibilities with Zoom school and all that. And it was extra hard for parents. It was not easy. But for those of us who are alone and would be writing and doing other things, it was like, hey, welcome to the party. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's been my experience, you know, having educators on the show is the real unsung heroes were educators because they had to come in overnight and reinvent how they were going to do their teaching. I think that was pretty, pretty impressive. Without question. And I think uh, we 
learn to appreciate the role of teachers because for that two-year period, parents were pretending to be teachers and that wasn't going well. I think we respect their jobs even more. And for them to have to sort of reestablish control of classrooms when the kids went back, you know, get that chemistry together again. No, uh, there's not a dog barking now. You can't be near the kitchen for snacks. We're in the classroom now. So it, it was really, uh, they. I think you're 100% right. They are the unsung heroes in this whole thing. Mm. Every journey has a beginning. Where were you both born and what was it like to grow up there? Reason? I was born in, in Buffalo, New York. Grew up in suburban Buffalo, New York. A very uh, pasty bubble of white folks. So we, uh, you know, we didn't know any different. You don't know any different than your own household or your own street or your own uh, community, your own school. So, you know, that's that's what we knew. And, you know, and I, I learned by growing up and moving to different locations that there's all kinds of different people that don't look like me and that have different lived experiences. It was it was a great childhood. It was uh, very safe, very warm. You know, we rode the streets, we ran the neighborhoods and we came home by dark. And I don't think kids grow up that way anymore, which makes me super sad because there were tons of adventures and near-death experiences that we never reported back uh, to the homestead about. about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it helps form a resilient uh, character. Uh, Fritz, I think, was pretty similar suburban Philadelphia. I lived in a town called Wayne, which was 30 miles west of the city of Philadelphia. I refer to it as the vast Caucasian wasteland. And it was a very safe, um, moderately conservative bubble of post-World War II families. It was very idyllic. And I had a great upbringing. You know, when you're a kid, you can't wait to get, it's, it's especially the male wanderlust, you can't wait to be out of there. But I look back on it so fondly. They had amazing schools and just like Wheezy, a, a very safe environment where you could go out and uh, ride your bike till dark. I, I just was not allowed to wander beyond the sound of my father's whistle. That means, <laughs> yeah, I go, and then it was time for me to come home. And uh, I mean, I did things I can't imagine parents allowing their kids to do now. We lived right across the street, not right across the street, but within a couple hundred yards of a railroad track. And we used to go and watch the trains and throw stones at the trains. Oh my God. If my kids did that now, I would handcuff them to the house. I wouldn't allow them to do it. But I mean, that's, that's everybody's story. It was, it was just a, a different upbringing, but I have no complaints. I had a great upbringing and all my failures are my own. It has nothing to do with my background. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm in my forties and I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you sit at home, you know, you go play and what have you come home, you know, when the lights come on or wherever the street lights come on. But there was a quote I remember from George Carlin from his very last standup that he did. It was basically, when did kids these days ever just get to sit in the yard with a stick? You know, hold a stick, you dig a hole, and you just sit there. You know what I mean? Like well, kids, Yeah, kids don't even do that today. Now it's all video games and you know, no, social media I, and so I mean, much. And, and you discover that as uh, not so much with my kids, uh, my kids, but with my grandchildren, I, I thought, you know, and they will make, they will create a universe out of kitchen utensils and just stuff. And I think that's a natural thing for kids to do. I think we over-legislate their lives by giving them, you know, Pokemon collectibles and video games and all that crap that they don't need. And uh, I know we, we don't allow their active imaginations to just wander free. So you're you're right. You're right about that. Right. The best toy is always going to be just the, the box. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this question is for Fritz. What are your favorite memories of attending Temple? I have great memories. That the, the irony was I was in the Navy for four years. And when I got out of the Navy, I had an apartment in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania, which oddly enough was across the street from the Lansdale campus of Temple University. But none of the classes I needed were occurring at that campus. So I had to drive down to North Philadelphia, which at the time was very ugly. It was a, a very tough neighborhood down there. Great school, tough neighborhood. And when I was going to school, we had all these icons in whose shadow we would try to thrive, like Bill Cosby and David Brenner, who were both students there. Now, not so much. Bill's name is not brought up so much, but those were the big guys that went to that uh, university. It was a great school. I went to the Annenberg School of Communications there for radio, television, and film. Had a great time. Didn't graduate. I left early because I got offered a job in radio that was too lucrative for me to pass up. So I went out a year early. What did you do in the Navy? So I worked for Armed Forces Radio and Television. I was on a ship. I went to eight weeks of electronic school. Then I was assigned to a ship the USS John F. Kennedy in Norfolk, Virginia. The USS Kennedy was the last steam-powered aircraft carrier in the American fleet. They were nuclear-powered after that. And uh, I did two Mediterranean cruises, what they call six fleet cruises, uh, 10 months at a time, where while the Vietnam, this is all in the background of the Vietnam War. This is how fortunate I was. So instead of going to the Vietnam War, I was going to the beach in Majorca, and visiting Rome and learning how to ski in the Alps and going to the Greek islands and going to Istanbul, Turkey. I mean, I had, it was the most incredible experience of my life. And uh, it could have been uglier had I gone to the other side of the globe, which was the Vietnam War at the time. So mm. I've seen the Kennedy. I've also seen the Kitty Hawk when I was in that we did a. West yeah, Park yeah, they were right there. Yeah, they were so, yeah. at the end of Pier 12 because they were the bigger ships. Yep. Wow. Are, are you a service member? Where are you? A I am. Yeah, I was in the U.S. Navy, got my citizenship in the USS Navy as well. Oh, wow. I was on 9-11 deployment. when I was out off California when 9-11 happened. And oh, went. my God. Were you on a ship? Yeah, I was on a carrier. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy life. Yes, it is. I was on the third deck, so with 24-hour flight operations, you slept like 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. So, Louise, question for you. What are your favorite memories of attending State University of New York College of Brockport? Wow, Brockport State, as we uh, kids call it. <laughs> it's uh, it's you can visit uh, the Erie Canal. And then you can go <laughs> back to campus. Those are the two things. <laughs> but it's a it's a great campus. I mean, I was really, really impressed because I had gone for two years to a private school in uh, uh, Winter Park, Florida called Rollins College. Which, that was what I assume was expensive. But my father did not discuss finances with me. You know, <laughs> I had to stay on the East Coast. I got in, he paid for it. I was a very naive child. I didn't understand that most kids didn't even get to go to college. Like I knew nothing about the world. And when I got too homesick and decided to come closer back to home and I went to uh, Brockport State, I was blown away by the facilities that uh, that a state university had so much more in terms of facilities than a private snooty college. So there I got to meet kids that that almost didn't get to go to college. And I appreciate, you know, just the privilege of being able to go, being being able to go to college. 
There were kids at all the state universities around New York. The kids just pour out of the New York City area. And so like nine out of 10 kids has a New York accent at any state school, no matter how far away you are. If you're still within the boundaries of New York, there's kids there with with New York accents, which are really adorable. And they had just amazing professors, amazing facilities, you know, for a little known state school like that. It was just fantastic. I I absolutely loved it. I loved that campus. I loved the people that I'm still friends with my roommates. And uh, it was great. Yeah, Brockport's a great school. I know that you are an accomplished documentarian. And for the record, I love the castles. Oh, wow. What, what is your process for how you choose a subject and to creating the actual documentary? I really just choose something that I'm passionate about because you're going to be living with it and sleeping with it and eating with it and walking with it. it it's going to be occupying a lot of space in your mind for a, a good period of time. So it's got to be something that you're just crazy about so that you can bunk together for a good long while without wanting to, you know, throw somebody out a window. <laughs> so for me, the you know, the cow sales, that was like a that was a journey to figure out what had happened to my childhood idols. That was like a personal mission for me to just figure out what had happened. And I figured if I was curious about it, then other folks were curious about it too. Well, what happened to these like phenomenally talented kids? And why didn't they have the arc of the Beach Boys or the Bee Gees? What, you know, they had just as much talent in my little defiant 11-year-old mind, right? So I got to prove her right. <laughs> that kid was correct about the cow sales. They are amazing. And so, yeah, and I've done shorts about people that I that I have a lot of passion about. I did a, a short recently about a 97-year-old artist in Santa Barbara. And it's just something, it's just a story that you feel like, oh, if I'm just want to wrap my arms around this subject matter, other people will as well. And just sort of follow your own instincts that way. Fritz, this is a very broad question, but I got to ask is what led you to KNBC? And what are some defining moments in your nearly 40 years there? It was a complete accident. I, I, I tell my friends and people I talk to that I have had the greatest bit of good luck of anybody I've ever met in show business, other than Pat Sajak. He's pretty lucky. But uh, <laughs> I came out to Los Angeles in 1980, and I was uh, pursuing a career in stand-up comedy. When I got out of the Navy, I went to Temple. Then I was in radio for 15 years. And then I got involved uh, performing at jazz clubs doing stand-up, and I was smitten by it. So I came out to L.A. in 1980 because in those days you had to work at the comedy store. That was Mecca. You would bow toward the comedy store at night at sunset on your prayer mat in 1982. And my friend who worked at Channel 4, uh, NBC, Los Angeles, brought his boss and his boss's wife to see me perform one night at the comedy store on the Sunset Strip. And I told stories about being in the Navy and working for Armed Forces Television. And I had a couple of anecdotes about being forced to do the weather on TV, but not knowing anything about it. But the Navy didn't seem to care about that. As long as I had a decent haircut and a good shoe shine and didn't use profanity, they didn't care what I said during the weather forecast. And he thought that was amusing. So after my show at the Comedy Store was over, I went backstage to meet these people. And this man said, this is a very odd question. He was the news director at Channel 4. His name was Steve Antonetti. God rest his soul. He gave me my career. He said, this is an odd question. Do you have any desire to come to Channel 4 and do some vacation relief and weekend weather work for me? I need a utility guy to come and fill in for people that aren't there. 
would you have any desire to do that? And I thought about it for a nanosecond. I was making $45 a night at the comedy store. I said, oh, my God, when do you want me to start? And can I please carry your wife to the car? Can I do anything? And I said, you do know, before you ask me this, that I don't know anything about weather. He said, that's fantastic because there's no weather in California. This will work out great. <laughs> so I had to audition for the job the next week. And I was told a couple of days later that I had it. So I did the weekend filling position for two years. And then my predecessor left and I was bumped up to the main weekday guy and I retired two weeks shy of my 40th anniversary at NBC Los Angeles. Just an unbelievable stroke of luck. But if you ask me what my favorite times were, my favorite weather time, my favorite time in working in the news business was in the old days when they spent buku money on ratings, they would send us to the Olympics. And because NBC has carried the Olympics for about 20 years. And so they would send the entire local news to, I mean, like a hundred people they would send to wherever we went. So I got to go to the Seoul Korea Olympics in 1988. I got to go to the Atlanta Olympics in 1992. So those were my peak experiences doing the weather. My peak experiences as a comic uh, were performing on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which is always the big thing, and getting to open people like Ray, for people like Ray Charles and Debbie Reynolds and uh, doing my one-person shows. where that's, That was the start of my relationship with Wheezy. She produced two of my one-person shows. And so all those are sort of in a separate silo. But I, I, I've been so lucky, it's ridiculous. And the older I get, the luckier I realize I've been. You know, it's funny you say that Johnny Carson and Conan O'Brien are pretty much the the idols that I used to why I created this show because what they used to do on the Tonight Show when Carson was there mm -hmm. is they would bring in they wouldn't just bring in you know the A list celebrities that bring people in you know the scientists doctors astronauts people like who are very interesting people that the world should know about. I love that I love that you bring that up. Yeah. I, I'll tell you because I used to say the Carson show. He wasn't afraid to have a conversation about anything. I mean, he would have Beverly Sills, the opera singer on there. He would have Carl Sagan on there and because he loved astronomy. And I would say for middle America, this might be their only exposure to those particular topics. You'd have a 14-year-old violin virtuoso. And I used to say, you know, people aren't going to find that anywhere else in their lives. And I always, that, that's what I respected about the show. And that certainly is missing now. Yeah. So you're right. Thank you. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Fritz Coleman and Luis Palanca. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long, deep breaths. You know, yes, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of the show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at 
podtasticaudio.com slash easy. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUVAL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hey there, this is Frankie Ray, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. My latest single, Over Now, is available on all streaming platforms. Hope you like it. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMicHistory.com. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Change of plans that we have 
This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 131 of The Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the hosts of Media Path Podcast, Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanker. How did the two of you meet, just out of curiosity? We met, I went with a friend to see Fritz's play at a little theater and we were talking afterwards and we shared some ideas and we just kind of started working together. We just kind of hit it off and started working together. It was one of those things where we were maybe separated at birth, but you know, we just got each other right away and started working together. I started teaching his kids how to play the drums and guitar and, you know, we just started hanging out. So we've been friends for for quite a while. So we, we've always, Fritz is involved in like every chapter of my life. So we've always worked together in, in one capacity or another that there's a lot of overlap. Like Fritz would host anything having to do with the cow sales when I put on concerts or, you know, fundraisers or events. He was always there. He's there with the cow sales when I'm teaching kids stand up comedy. Fritz is always there. I'm seeing these events like he's in he's in every chapter of my life. Awesome. Also, uh, Wheezy is a stand-up comic and a great comedy writer. My one person shows that she's talking about these plays. I've done four of them, and she was involved in the first two. They're 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 not really plays. They're like single-topic monologues. My first play was called "It's Me, Dad." It was about being a, a single father, and I reveal myself to my kids. The second play was about divorce and that whole thing. But when we were talking early in us getting to know one another, she's funny and gets a sense of what's funny and how to stage this. So it was easy to take her on as uh, one of my producers. And we had some fun rides together. We did our stuff all over the place. It was it was cool. For my listeners, can you please explain to them exactly what Media Path Podcast is exactly? We came up with the title Media Path because with the digital age, we're we're able to go very deep in, into whatever interests us and then take a left turn if we find something that interests us in, in a different way. And, you know, we just kind of each kind of take these paths. And I guess everyone's search into uh, history would be would be fascinating. Like, how did you it's almost like conversations where you never at the end of the night, you're not sure, like, how do we get on this subject? But there's there was a train that got, you know, there was a pathway that got you there. And so it's the same with our interests. Like we can go deep on, on YouTube alone with what, you know, you start, you know, if you Google the association, for example, and you because you want to listen to Wendy, you know, that's going to take you down, down a media path. So we love to sort of explore the, the overlaps where knowledge is built upon knowledge because you already know a certain amount and now you want to know more about something else. And so it's those pathways that we each create. And then when our guests come on, they've they've they have their own pathway of work and their own pathways of interest. And you know, every everything just kind of it it allows us to sort of see how the world is all connected. 
as of last Friday, there are over 3.2 million podcasts. How hard was it for, for both of you to find your voice and your audience? I'll talk about this because I come from television, where uh, in order to be successful in television, you have to have an obsession with ratings, overnight ratings and sweeps ratings and you're parsing your ratings and everybody looks at the ratings tomorrow morning. Oh my God, we're an eighth of a point off from where we were yesterday. What have we done? You have to, you, you can't look at podcasting that way for the very reason you said there's so many podcasts. It's a slow build. And I realized a long time ago that uh, for, for my part, we, Weezy has much more experience in the podcasting work because she's been on five podcasts. This is my first one. But what you have to do is let go of that. Don't obsess over how many listeners you have or don't have from one week to the next. Just do the best you can. Present something that you enjoy. The reason why Weezy and I have a great time doing it together is because we've known since the beginning of our relationship that we have similar feelings about stuff. Movies, documentaries, books, plays, politicians, politics. So this this podcast is really just a continuation of this conversational relationship we have all the time. So that's easy. So if you just put aside the competitive nature of it, realize that there are a zillion podcasts to choose from, and just try to build, and slowly over time, people are made aware of you with the help of being on the Derek Duvall show. You know, we, we spread the word a little bit and you slowly build. And then every couple of weeks, you get surprised that you have some more viewers. It's a healthier aspect than being obsessed over ratings every day. Yeah. You've had everyone from Henry Winkler to a former guest of mine, the late Judy Tenuta. To you both, who are some guests who have left such a great lasting impression on you? You mentioned one, Henry Winkler, who was a close friend of Weezy's even before he did the podcast. Well, we Fritz and I both worked on with Henry on a, on a project. We, you know, we we have our friends on, and we love we love comedians, we love musicians. You know, it's just such a treat to be able to talk to Bill Medley from the Righteous Brothers, or uh, one of the Oak Ridge Boys. You know, Richard Sturban, or Peter I mean, Noon. all the yeah, Peter Noon. You're right. Yeah, yeah it, the the all these folks that sort of populated your childhood mind at former child stars. You know, we had two, two brothers from my three sons, Barry and Stanley Livingston. And, you know, it's just interesting to see on a zoom call, the two faces that you watched, you know, every, whatever night it was of the week with your, with your siblings. Yeah. Uh, we love just getting a chance to, you know, speak with Butch Patrick about the monsters and, you know, everything that we're curious about or getting to have a conversation with somebody who had an impact on your life, I think is what's, What's most most meaningful for me, you know, of course, we had the castles on a few times and, you know, those conversations are like visiting with 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 family members. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, we had on Richard Klein from Three's Company. He directed Fritz's plays that I produced. So he's a brother. Uh, so we, we love I think we love those conversations the best. The folks that we already knew and we get to, you know, have a warm living room conversation with uh, and record it. And, and you probably have the same experience, uh, Derek. The The real fun for me is to talk to somebody like she's talking about. We also had uh, Christopher Knight from the Brady Bunch on there. 
But the real fun is this is the discovery that happens when you realize that these people over and above their, you know, one-time sitcom stardom, they're brilliant people on a whole other level. Like he started a computer company. This guy's a genius. And it's really fun to sort of unpeel the layers of their lives that nobody knew about. And then it becomes a real interesting conversation. It's just not fan magazine stuff. We have a lot of fun doing that. You know, it's amazing you say that. Um, one of my favorite movies growing up was Airplane, one of the greatest comedies ever made. Mm-hmm. And I had Robert Hayes on the show. Robert was absolutely very generous with his one time. One of the and, nicest people you'll ever meet. I know Robert. Exactly. Yeah. Three and a half hours we talked oh, uh, in wow. our interview. Set the records, never been touched. <laughs> wow. And uh, it was it was just sitting there. You're watching you know, through the screen. Or having, you're like, this man is someone that I grew up idolizing and – you know, his comedy, his timing was brilliant. And he was exactly the same person that you hoped he would be. Very generous, very warm, very, you know, very giving with his time. And doing this show for so long now, you know, I've had World War II veterans on here. I've had, you know, people in the space program. It's it's giving me a whole new appreciation for people that you just happen to meet in person and via the web, if that makes any sense. Exactly. Right. No, I've had the same feeling you do. For we, Fritz and I, we, we approach podcasting like going to college. You know, you prepare for the class, you do your homework, and then you get to learn. And it just, it's, it's really been a, a, a pleasure and a privilege to, you know, get to learn from such fascinating folks. What do you want the legacy of your podcast to be? We would just like to, as I mentioned before, slowly build, and at the end of the line, Whenever uh, there's divine intervention, and that's the last podcast, we realize that we grew a nice, healthy audience. We're not looking to get rich. We're just, I'll tell you, I'm retired from the weather business, and it's the most engaging part of my life to be able to have this to look forward to every week. So I just hope we continue to grow and get more listeners that are able to, you know, continue. You know, I, I have a healthy outlook. I, I don't put too many high expectations. We have a great crew. Wheezy's awesome because what she brings her, she works much harder on this podcast than I do because, as you mentioned before, she's a documentary filmmaker and she post-produces this show because our show goes on YouTube as well. So she adds visual content, does effects, and it's really a nice presentation. It does a couple of full days work on it after we're done. So we have her. We have a great producer by the name of Dina Friedman. We have lots of great people. So we're we're just trying to live in the moment and enjoy it as it goes. And if we grow, it'll be icing on the cake. That's awesome. So after all of your success, if you had the chance to speak to your younger selves, what would you want to say to them? It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> there we go. Don't be afraid to stick your foot in the fire. You know, I was I had this terrible fear. I, I had some uh, uh, hints of what I wanted to do and what I thought I would be good at. But until I became a young adult, I was afraid to try everything because I didn't, I had an awful fear of failure. And I would just, if I, I, I would have to figure out how to do that successfully and be able to make an impression on myself. But I would, I would chastise myself into not being afraid <laughs> to take a chance because I was too afraid. My father always told me, he said, uh, failure is the greatest teacher we could ever have. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no failure. The only the only true failure is not trying. Exactly. Failure is learning. And mm-hmm. your dad is correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. It's excellent advice. Mm-hmm. So what's next for the two of you? 
We, let's see, uh, I think we have Michael Learned from the Waltons. I can look at my calendar. I mean, Fritz and I are just going to forge ahead. We're going to just keep doing shows. We've got uh, Michael Learned, Mindy Sterling, Dee Wallace, David Milburn. And then I'm excited. We're going to be talking to Melanie. She does have a last name, but like on her record albums that I had as a kid, she didn't. And <laughs> every girl my age had had those Melanie records and wanted to be Melanie. So that should be exciting. Mm-hmm. You guys are looking forward to uh, Dee Wallace. She's an absolute sweetheart. Real great interview. She's she's yeah. good, for a good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we love it. Yeah, We make everybody look good. And, and I'm sure you've learned this yourself. If you do your homework, within the first five minutes, your guest understands that you've done your research and it makes them so comfortable and they loosen up and they realize this isn't going to be like your typical red carpet interview. It's yeah. going to be good. So they're all fun. We, 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 we squeeze some fun out of every experience. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question, and this is for both of you. What do you guys like to do to unwind? You know, are there any shows you're into? Do you like, you know, yoga, jogging, anything like that? I like uh, photography. I play the drums, write songs. I love walking. And I have a, um, I don't know if you have this yet. It's the Oculus. So, uh it hooks up with Facebook and it's a VR headset and you can do, I, I play this game called beat saber. It's really good workout, but it's like drumming, but it's like 3d drumming. I don't know how else to explain it, I but yeah. That I can't wear those because I wear glasses and it makes me nauseous. Yeah. That's uh, probably the same thing with me too, <laughs> but yeah. All right. What about you, Fritz? I, I have a, I, I have a project that I'm, I'm, having great hope about it. I just taped a comedy special at the El Portal Theater in North Hollywood, California, outside Los Angeles. And we have some interest in uh, uh, from the AVOD market, which is advertiser-supported video on demand, like uh, 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 the Hulu and uh, Peacock. And so we're trying to sell it. We're very, we have some interest there. So if I sell that, I'll be very, very happy. So that's awesome. what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? You can open up any app that calls itself a podcasting app and type in the words media path. You can also go into Google and type in the words media path or mediapathpodcast.com. Our website is currently being overhauled, but it wherever you type in the words media path, it will play on that device. You can throw it to Bluetooth speakers if you'd like, but you don't have to. It will play on your phone. It will play on your tablet. It it will just hit the play button and it will play. What about social media? Anything like that? Yes, we're all over that. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Media Path Pod is what it's usually called on, on the social medias. Awesome. And I personally am on TikTok. In fact, I ha- I don't interact with TikTok at all. Which is like, uh, there's something, you know, there, I have like some sort of chip missing that China wasn't anticipating. <laughs> but, but yes, but yesterday I posted, I have to even find where is the TikTok? TikTok. So yesterday I posted a little uh, Paul Dooley, because we just had Paul Dooley on. And Dina wrote to me this morning, our producer, and she said, you should get in there and uh, respond to the comments because it already has 22.4 thousand <laughs> views. That's fantastic. That's, that's nuts, awesome. right? That's awesome. Good for you. That's awesome. Well, we knew he had a lot of fans. We got a huge response on our Facebook page to him. And we're starting to get a lot on Richard Klein that we had on Tuesday, who was great. So 
It's all good. Awesome. Yeah, we're having a blast. So I end my interviews with my favorite question. Okay. And the question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? And either one of you can go first. We have far more alike than we have different. And I know that a lot of people are sort of entrenched in in a combative stance. And I, I think the answers are more about not about defeating anyone. The answers are more about wrapping your arms around everyone and, and figuring out, you know, how, that we're all part of the same human organism and that everyone needs a hug. Everyone needs eye contact. Everyone needs to be heard. You know, it's really about loving harder. That's what it's about. Took the words right out of my mind. It's all about love. It's, it, everything is about love. Your relationship with your family, your friends, to your neighbors, to the planet. It's just about love. Fritz, Louise, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I know you both are incredibly busy. So thank you. And I want to wish you nothing but the continued success for your show. Well, we appreciate it being a guest on your show, Derek. Keep up the good work, my friend. You do a great job. And thank you so much for having us on. You're welcome. You guys take care of yourselves and uh, stay in touch, okay? You're doing awesome. Thank you so take, much, Derek. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 131. I want to thank Fritz and Louise for being so gracious with their time. I am proud to say I really enjoyed meeting these two, and it was quite apparent after a few minutes into the interview that these two have extraordinary chemistry and they are so much fun to chat with. Maybe, maybe, if we are lucky, they might come back on the show sometime again down the road. Tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, and I say this all the time, I think it's fair to ask you, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We do prefer the good ones, though, just saying. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And we have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Also, I've added more shirts since the last time I said this. I've added more shirts, so please come on and check them out. There are some truly fun ones on there. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says March. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, we want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Director of All Show, I want to say to each and every one of my loyal listeners, tune out the political division that is endlessly occupying our lives here in the United States. And remember what Richard Blade said, we are all Americans, not Democrats versus Republicans, red versus blue. We are all Americans, and we need to get back to talking to each other with civility and to eradicate fascism in all forms. That, folks, is my wish for the world this week. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.